0: Hey, if you'd like to open your Bibles, you can go to First Kings 12 or Second Chronicles 24, <laughs> or like me, you can jump around between the two. I don't know, the, I, you know, you hear things and, and you remember things, sometimes things stand out to you, and I, I was ready to say the first time I ever heard this phrase, but I realized I probably heard it before that, but the first time the phrase ever resonated with me, uh, that someone said they were a people pleaser, I thought that was a good thing. And then as they went on talking about it, I realized, oh, they're saying it's a bad thing. (laughs) Because I thought we were supposed to please people. I thought we were supposed to do that kind of thing. But what happens is when we do things to please people, pleasing people becomes our goal, and right and wrong can be thrown out the standard. And yet, by nature, we seem to be wired that way. We want to make people happy. And and, and that seems to be the issue with the current king here, uh, King Joash. King Joash was a really, really good king until the priest, who was his mentor, died. And then it became apparent that he was good because of his relationship with Joash, not his relationship with God, or his relationship with Jehoiada, the priest, not because his relationship with God. And the lesson that comes out to us is very clear. Beware who you're living to please. Okay, so 2nd Kings chapter 11, just kind of setting a little background, how Joash became king. So we, I talked last time about Jehu, Jehu the wild man riding his chariot. He killed two kings. Remember, he killed the north, the king of the north. Uh, whose name I already can't think of, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he killed the king of the south, a man named Ahaziah. And, and he kills this Ahaziah, and then he goes on, and the rest of the story of, of Jehu is all in the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Samaria. It's not, he doesn't, I don't know why he doesn't say, you know, this would be a great time to consolidate the kingdom and be king of both, uh, but he doesn't. He, he doesn't seem to even think that way, so he, he works and becomes king of the northern kingdom of Samaria. So there's this vacuum in the south. And so naturally, there are ways to fill this vacuum. So King King Ahaziah, who was the the king of of Jerusalem, had sons. And one of them would naturally be the heir to the throne. It would become king, but it didn't work out that way. Okay, because there's a woman by the name of Athaliah. Athaliah is Ahaziah's mother. Okay, It sounds almost like she named him after her, which is kind of an unusual thing to do. But she was, she was the, the uh, mother of the king, and she had another interesting family relationship. She is the granddaughter of Omri. You go, okay, that doesn't mean anything to me. That means she was either the sister or the cousin of uh, Ahab. The king of Israel, the evil king of I- Israel, or she was either, let's see, I have the, she was either Ahab's daughter or his niece, that was it, she was either Ahab's daughter or his niece, Ahab being the king that brought idol worship into the northern kingdom of I- Israel, and she was a worshiper of Baal, which is really a fascinating thing if you if you follow these things, it's like if you're charting this out on a chart, you go, okay, Jehu came in, he destroyed Baal worship in the northern kingdom of Samaria where it was, was abundant, but essentially, he opened the door for Baal worship in the southern kingdom of Judah because he left this, this vacuum, and Athaliah seized the throne. She, so, and, and to seize the throne, let me read uh, chapter 11, verses uh, 1 and 2. Now, Or just verse 1 for right now. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal family. Now, you recognize this; she is the queen mother. So what does it mean for her to kill the royal family? You go, no, it can't mean that. It means she killed every heir to her throne. She's killing her grandchildren. Or maybe just the grandsons because she didn't see a threat in, 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 in uh, uh, the daughters because they didn't have a line. But she is taking everyone who has a legit. she doesn't have a legitimate claim to the throne. So she takes everyone who has a legitimate claim to the throne, and she kills them, has them killed, so that she can be the queen. Uh, and and, and she, she establishes herself in this position. She, she apparently didn't kill her other son. Second Chronicles 24-7 says that while she ruled, they raided the temple. Maybe they had done that before she ruled. It's kind of hard to put the pieces together. But wouldn't this make a great Mother's Day sermon? <laughs> we're, we're, we're just a few weeks away from that, uh, and then she placed herself on the throne, and she rules Judah for six years, only time there was a, a woman ruling in either the northern or the southern kingdom, is the queen mother kills her grandchildren, so that she can take her seat on the throne, and she rules Judah for six years, but that's not the end of the story, because we have verse 2 of chapter 11, but Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons, were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. So there's this one little, little uh, tubby, uh, you know, one-year-old baby. And, and she grabs, she sees what's going to happen, she grabs him up, she runs. You know, she, she runs out the door, she runs over to the nurse, she says, keep him hidden in the bedroom, don't let him cry, uh, don't let them find out he's here. So they take him and they hide him away uh, and, and, and until it's time to strike. So they hide him away for six years, and then there's this priest, we don't know if he's the high priest or not, he's never called the high priest, he's just called the priest a man by the name of Jehoiada, uh, who is the priest, and he kind of takes charge. He says, the boy is seven. He's old enough to be king and we don't know what goes into his thinking you know why would you say okay he's seven he's old enough to be king except Jehoiada if you do the math and find out he was in his 90s himself at this time right so he may be thinking you know the clock is ticking if I want to make sure this happens I have to do it while I'm still around right so that might have been his thinking when he does this but he rallies the troops to him he places them in guardian guardianship over the king and then he has Athaliah executed he says hey everybody who for me uh, get at the lion, and kill her she runs down to the temple interestingly uh, grabs the altar and they end up killing her right there it's what's really interesting is is her last w- recorded words are treason treason mm-hmm. and, and you go she's accusing someone else of treason <laughs> I'm thinking maybe she's making a confession you know because she was she gained the throne by a horrible treason Uh, But it's interesting how, and it's interesting, by the way, just a little sidelight, how much sinners dislike sin when it works against them, (laughs) you know, Uh, and and that's what happened, but there was no sin in her death, there was only justice in it, and at seven years old, Joash becomes king, and so we find ourselves in the next chapter, chapter 12, uh, and we find that Joash is a really good king as long as Jehoiada Lives okay, he reigns for 40 years. Let's, let's look at this in the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became, began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba, and Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. That's the way it reads in Second Kings. Uh, he did what was right all his days because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But if we go to Second Chronicles, verse 24, it phrases it just slightly. Differently. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. (laughs) And we find it's phrased differently. He did it all his days because Jehoiada was with him. He did it all the days of Jehoiada the priest. But Jehoiada the priest was, was 90 years old when jo- Joash became king. And poor Jehoiada, the p- guy only lived to 130, right? <laughs> so Joash was king for 40 years. He outlived Jehoiada. Not by a whole lot, by the way. Uh, but uh, he, he became king, and he was really good as long as Jehoiada the was king, uh, was, was priest. And specifically when it came to rebuilding the temple. Because when you have a... a, a leadership of the nation that inter- isn't interested in godliness, especially when temple and state are connected, uh, then the temple is going to go downhill. And when those leaders are interested in Baal worship, promoting other gods, then it's going to go more uphill. So at some point, he makes a decree to, to uh, restore the temple. 2 Kings chapter 12, verse... Uh, let's see. Let's see. Verse uh, 4. He says, Jehoash said to the priests, all the money of the holy... By the way, sometimes he's called Joash, sometimes Jehoash, it's the same guy. Uh, Jehoash said to the priests, all the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money of the assessment of persons and the money of that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take each from his donor, let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. So he basically says, you know, the temple is falling apart. Uh, as the money comes in from the offering, uh, use that to rebuild the temple. And, and he's a little bit more specific, or it's phrased a little bit more specifically in uh, Second Chronicles 24, six and nine. It says, uh, so the king summoned Jehoiada the chief and said to him, why have you not required from the Levites to bring in from Jerusalem the tax levied by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the congregation of Israel for the ten of testimony? So he's, he's, he's going specifically, what is this assessment? This is what in the New Testament we call the temple tax. It goes all the way back to before there was a temple when they used the money to build the tabernacle and every man every year was to give his half shekel donation for the te- to, to, the, to the temple. And it had fallen by the way. The practice had fallen by the way. The people had fallen out of godliness and, and the people were not excited about this going on and the money had not been collected. We don't know. And, and even when they, he, he says this, he says, you know, I want you to start taking this money for the, for the establishment, of, the, of the, for the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, take it and do it. They don't do it. For whatever reason, they do something else with the money. They're either pocketing it for themselves. You know, maybe being a priest at that time doesn't pay real well, and they say, you know, this is—we've been using this money to support ourselves, and there's not that much, and it's what we have to do. Maybe they—maybe it's a possibility. As you read it, you, you kind of read between the lines, figure out maybe they were trying to do the work themselves. You know, and 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 the thing is—is is the pastor may be okay with his hands, but as a general rule, the people in the congregation. Don't trust the pastor a whole lot when he picks up tools, <laughs> you know, because because uh, you know it's like how do you how do you explain that? It's it's just the way it is. Uh, there's 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 uh, and uh, it, maybe they you know maybe they were trying to do it and they just weren't that good at it and they were kind of wasting their money and spinning their wheels. Uh, it, it, we don't know exactly what they're doing. But they were not using the money, at least very quickly. Second, Again, bouncing between the two passages, 2 Kings 12.6 says it this way, uh, but by the 23rd year of King Jehoiada, the priest had made no repairs to the house. So we don't know at what point he made the decree, but by the time he had been ruling 23 years, they hadn't accomplished anything. And he has. A, I'm thinking about building program and spinning of wheels, but we're gonna we're gonna fix that problem. Uh, in Second Chronicles uh, 24 verse 5, it, again it says the same thing a little bit differently. Uh, and he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, "Go out to the cities of Judah. Let's see, oh verse uh, Israel, money to repair the house of the Lord your God a year from year to year. I see that you act quickly. But the Levites did not act quickly." And he got impatient. He goes, hey, come on, guys. You have this money. You have this job to do. Do something about it. And, and so when I say he's a good king, I don't know how he was politically. I don't know how he was militarily. I don't know those things. But as far as God is concerned, this is a good king. He is trying to do good things uh, with the temple. And so he comes up with a plan, and they take—they he says they take the chest. And, and I picture a little treasure chest. You know, like, you ever been in Sunday school, and they have a little treasure chest, and you, you get in, into it, or you, it's either got a hole in for the offering, or you open it up to get treasures out. Of. I picture a chest like that only, you know, big, Captain Bly treasure chest size, you know, Captain Hook or Captain whatever, right? And they, and they drilled a hole in it, you know, it didn't have a power drill, they did it like this, they drilled a hole in it so you could see in it. And the people would draw, and you go, why would they do such a thing? That doesn't make much sense. Well, the, the people could see in it, and they knew, see, there was no accountability before that. There was no accountability. Nobody saw what was in there. Nobody knew. Nobody, you know, is there a lot? Is there a little? It seems like there's never much. I don't know what's happening. Well, it's because these guys were helping themselves to it one way or another when they needed to. Well, now there's a hole in it, and people can see the progress. And every time it got full, he took, and what do you know, there is an accounting. He had them record how much money was going in uh, to do this till they had enough money to hire workmen to do the job. Uh, And and he starts having them account, uh, and I could go with verses for all this, but it gets kind of... You know, tedious after a while. Uh, so, so they they start doing accounting for all the money bring in. As the money came in, they paid the workmen, and it's interesting because it says they did not require an accounting of them because they were honest in their work. And it's kind of interesting. The priests they could not trust to be honest, so they did an accounting. But the workmen were obviously honest, so they did not hold even do an accounting for them. And they did the work, and the temple was restored. And Jehoiada or Joash was a good king all the days of Jehoiada the priest. As I read, but the thing is, is Jehoiada died, right? Uh, Second Chronicles 24 verses 15 to 16. And at this point, we're going to be in Chronicles. For Second Kings, for whatever reason, doesn't tell us this part of the story. Second Chronicles 24, 15 and 16, it's, it's pretty cool. But Jehoiada grew old and full of years and he died. He was 130 years old at his death. They buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel and toward God and his house. So you know, it, Jehoiada lived to be 130. He accomplished a lot of good in those years. They honored him so much they buried him with the kings. Right, the special place, special hillside, caves in. This is what they think, and only kings were buried in that area. But Jehoiada the priest, they buried there because this guy was so special in the sight of the nation, uh, and, and and because of his godliness and his example, he set for. Uh, Joash the king, Jehoiada, is treated with special honor. And if you're going to pick somebody to model your life after, if you're going to pick someone and say, I'm going to let that person be a good influence on me, pick someone who's going to live to 130. You know, he'll be around, be a good influence for a long time. But but the problem is... Uh, Putting your hope, the middle verse of the Bible, I almost made this scripture reading, Psalm one eighteen 8, it is better to trust in God than to trust in princes. You know what Jehoash did was he trusted in a prince of a man, but he did not trust in God, and that becomes really evident, 2 Chronicles 24, 17 to 22. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king, Then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the house he had just barely rebuilt, uh, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Uh, and, and, And so Jehoash became a bad king. He yielded to bad influence maybe immediately I'm thinking did this guy never face bad influences before I mean at this point he's he's nearing the end it appears of his 40 years of reign he's not a kid anymore I mean he 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 was only seven when he became king but at this point he's he's middle-aged he's he's well established he's got a lot of experience has nobody ever tried to tempt him to do wrong before because this guy it's like first sign of temptation he bails head over heel he dives head in for it Uh, what 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 is wrong with this guy Uh, this was this was near the end of his reign. He was not a novice, uh, but apparently Jehoiada had been his crutch. Jehoiada had been his rock, and you cannot build your faith upon a person. Your faith cannot depend upon any person. People can be good examples. We must be good examples for each other. You must try to be good examples for others. It is okay for you to look at someone else and admire them and respect them and aspire to a faith like theirs, But they cannot be the crutch. They cannot be the support of your faith. And that's what happened to this guy. Because he abandoned the temple he had just rebuilt. He ignored prophets that God sent him to call him back. And finally, look at verses 20 to 22. Uh, Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. Uh, So so this is the son of the man that he admired and modeled his life after or, or leaned on for all those years, right? Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God. Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness of Jehoiada. Zechariah's father had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. He didn't say, Father, forgive him. He said, Lord, you got this, right? He, 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 he left vengeance up, up to God. And so God, verses 23 and 25, had him defeated in battle. This is the opposite of what's supposed to happen, right? Look at this. At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord. It's just the opposite. Judah's supposed to be the one that wins with a little army, right? They're supposed to be the ones who, because God is with them, they conquer the big army, the enemies. God brought it just the opposite way because they had abandoned God and and, and then uh, after defeating him in battle then his servants assassinate him right and and then he is not buried uh, with with the army it says when they departed from him the Syrians verse 25 leaving him severely wounded his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest they killed him in his bed so he died they buried him in the city of David but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings (laughs) He did not receive the honor, which he was due by birth as a birthright. He was supposed to be buried there. He didn't receive that because he gave it away by worshiping other gods, by being a bad and ungodly king. Uh, He was not buried in the tombs of the kings as Jehoiada, who did not have the birthright, did get. And we find this this amazing contrast. Uh, You know, there's a verse, and I, I didn't write down the verse, and I can't think of it. I can't quote it very well. But basically, it's a, there's one in Romans, there's one in 1 Corinthians, it says, These things are written to be an example to us. Because, you know, we look at stories like this and we go in the, in the Old Testament and we go, OK, well, that's an interesting story. You know, you ought to have some little flammograph pictures. I tell stories like this with flammograph. They're a lot of fun, really exciting. But, but you go, OK, it's a story. What are we supposed to do with stories? Why aren't you teaching in the New Testament? <laughs> right? You know, these stories are given for a very specific reason. They are not bedtime stories because there weren't those things at that time. Everything we read in the Old Testament is there to benefit us today. And what we have today is an illustration of someone who built his faith on a man, and you must build your faith on more than a man. Get this down. People can be the start of your faith, but they cannot be the end of your faith. They cannot be the finish of it. Somebody can introduce you to Christ. Apparently somebody has because you're here, right? Somebody can introduce you to Christ. Someone can introduce you to church right? And and it may be church as a whole. You've never been to church in your life. It may be to a specific church. Uh, Someone can introduce you to church. Someone can introduce you to the Bible, right? At some point, someone comes along with this book and says, hey, here is a Bible. You should read it sometime. Or you might say, here is an easier to read version of the Bible. You should read it. Or they might say, here is a Bible. You know, there's different Bibles have different strengths. This one has pictures, right? Uh, and, And so you come along and you promote the Bible. Someone can be a a good example to you, but no one can be those things to you. right? Someone can introduce you to the things of God, but no one can be those things. And if you rely on someone else to be those things for you, then you are building on sand. You're building on sand and it will not stand, right? So the, the whole good example thing, I have a few verses, uh, just New Testament for fun of it. First Corinthians chapter four, verse 16. Paul. Uh, who, I, who I mentioned in Sunday school, he's bold enough to say, look at me and my example. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, uh, I urge you then be imitators of me. That's the whole verse. I urge you then, be imitators of me. He says, these things you see me do, these things, do what I'm doing. He says, be an imitator of me. Follow my example. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. You're doing the things I taught you to do just the way I told you to do. He says, good for you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And I love that phrase because he doesn't say, he says, join in imitating me, but he doesn't stop there. He says, keep an eye on those who walk according to what you've been taught. You know, watch each other, not like judges trying to catch each other, aha, I saw him do something wrong, but, but to see what you can learn. See the people who are being godly and watch what they do and try to do what they do. You can learn things from other people. We should do this. It's not bad to learn to be examples. Philippians 4.9, uh, he says uh, similar thing again. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be in with you. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 and 7. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. He's writing to a brand new church. He says, you became imitators of us, and you became an example to others. That's the, the yeah, circle of life. I mean, it's, that's, that's the picture of what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to learn and do so that others learn and do. Right? This, this whole business of being role models to other people, it is, it is a really good thing. We should aspire to be that example. We should pay attention to those who are the examples. But if your faith is built on a person, if your faith is built around, on a, person, around a person, then your faith is not built on Christ. And your faith is not built around Christ. It has no lasting value, uh, no lasting strength. And, and it will crumble uh, when the person... Fails. The person, you know, and, and how does a person fail? Well, for one thing, he might turn 130, right, and, and die, right? That, 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 is, that is a failing, right? Not living to be that continued example. It's a failing we all share, but it's a failing, right? Or, or the person may just happen to fall. You know, we are not guaranteed that tomorrow we will be as good as we are today. We can stumble. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying expect each other to fall, but but we understand we have seen people, big names in Christian ministry stumble before. Right? We have seen them fall and when the people and the big names fall, they fall in a big way right? Smaller people fall. Pastors run off with secretaries. Uh, pastors steal. Pastors, pastors, <laughs> you know, they steal money from the offering. Uh, they, they, pastors get caught doing bad things. If you build your faith on a pastor, right, then prepare to be disappointed. Prepare for your faith to struggle because the pastor does not measure up. Neither do, do, do no offense elders, <laughs> neither do the elders, neither do your Sunday school teachers. And I'm not saying I know specific things about these people. These are really good people that I'm not throwing stones at, But I'm saying we cannot be your end. We cannot be the basis of your faith. We are people that God uses to help you turn to him. And if we don't help you turn to him, then we have absolutely failed in what we've done. Uh, John the Baptist, they came to him. They said, don't you know people are leaving you to go to Jesus? He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That is our job. He is the one who is worth it all. Uh, so, 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 why are you here? And you go, what do you mean, why am I here? Are you here to make your wife happy, guys? Right? She likes it better when you come to church, so it's easier just to come to church every so often, so I'll come to church to make my wife happy. Does it please your husband? You know, he, it makes him, I, I know he likes it when I'm at church with him. And, and I want to, I like it when he's happy with me. So I'm going to church, go to church because it, it makes him happy. Do you come to church because of your parents? Kids, you don't have to answer that out loud. <laughs> you know, there's a certain amount of coming because your parents tell you you will come that I greatly admire. Randy Anderson, one of our class missionaries, or not a class, one of our church missionaries, how many of you know Randy personally? He will tell you stories about fighting his dad about going to church. <laughs> He's now one of our missionaries. Dad won, Randy won, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but 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 Dad had to win, right? And, and I, but 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 kids, at some point, if the only reason you go to church is to please your mom and dad, then someday when you are of the age that you don't have to please them anymore, then you're not going to church anymore. And your faith means nothing right now, and it will mean nothing then. Your faith needs to be in more than that person who you're coming to church to please. It must be, or, or it is of, of I, I want to I say it's of no value because it is of value. You know, sometimes you go to church enough, all of a sudden something breaks through, right? Really good. It's nice when things finally break through. Um, So they tell me. Uh, But but they're not enough. Those are great ways to meet Christ. Those are great ways to be introduced to faith. But if your faith never goes beyond pleasing your wife, if your faith never goes beyond pleasing your husband or your parents, then it it is of no value. Nobody is going to get to heaven by saying, I'm with him. It, It does not work. I don't care who the him is you're with or the her is you're with and how awesome they are. Their faith will not and cannot save you. Your faith can save you. So do something about it. God sent prophets to Joash and he ignored them and he paid the price. Today, God has sent me, okay? Today, God has sent me. And the message is, repent. The message is, place your faith in Christ. Not, do not be here because you're trying to please that person next to you. Be here because you're trying to please God. Be, there, be here because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you hear the words I'm saying to you, then you're hearing what I believe are God's, is God's message to you. Uh, do not ignore it. Do not pay the price. Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price. Why did he pay that price? Because that way we don't have to. And, 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 and it sounds very selfish. I will tell you, receiving Christ may be the most selfish thing you ever do. It's self-serving. You're blessing you. <laughs> right? You're gaining eternal life. That's good enough reason. You know what? He, God doesn't expect us to come to him because we love him. He expects us to learn to love him after we come to him. Yeah. Love is a fruit of the spirit. Love, fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Don't, don't think you need it up front. <laughs> it comes later on. Do not ignore it. Jesus is the only, Jesus, Jesus did pay it more than that. Jesus is the only one who could pay it. He is the only one to base your faith on. Not on anyone else. Your salvation lies directly between you and him with no one in between. There is no mediator between God and man but the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews, I can't tell you the verse. Uh, Make sure of it. If you have not done this before, if as I'm saying this you realize I am here or you're willing to admit, maybe not realize but willing to admit, I am here only because of my husband or my wife or my parents or whoever it is you're here to please, and you realize that and you want to do something about it, let me tell you something. The time to do something about it is right now. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Don't delay. Right now, Jesus Christ, I come to you as my Savior. I trust you only. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, you are our Savior. You are the rock of our salvation. You are the one who paid the price. You are the one we believe in. You are the one we trust. Dear Jesus, I right now place my trust in you and only you. And thank you for that gift of of eternal life, of forgiveness and of salvation. You only, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.